Well, I'm glad that you guys are here. I'm glad that we get to share today um, about what the Lord is doing around the world. Um, last week, you got to hear from the mission team. Oh, they, they were super jet-lagged, and some of us were fighting off debilitating jungle diseases. But um, today, we're going to hear from Michael. Michael is from Egypt. He is living in Leipzig, Germany, which is East Germany, uh, former Eastern Bloc, and he is kind of close to the Czech Republic border, and so that's his general area. You can feel free to look that up on a map. So when I first met Michael, it was actually in Thessaloniki, Greece, okay? Thessaloniki, Greece is where we met Michael, um, and there was a couple of us who were on a trip to Greece. We had just spent a week in Moria, okay? Moria Camp is not the mines of Moria from Lord of the Rings. Moria Camp is on the island of Lesbos. It was the refugee camp where you have refugees. They come up on what's called the refugee highway. They come from places like Afghanistan, Syria, and they come through Turkey. And then when they get to Turkey, they wind up in the vicinity of Shmirna or Izmir. And what winds up happening is they get a raft to bring them across to Greece through smugglers. Um, and what they do is they have a, a, like a, like a dinghy designed for 20 people, and they put 70 people on it. And they teach the kid in the back to hold the throttle on, you know, on full blast and aim for the mountains and go. And so in, when we were in Moria, we were exposed to this remarkable need the spiritual need and this physical need because of the refugees who were there. And so in Moria, there was, at the time, it was like 75% Afghan, and then everybody else was more or less from Syria because it was in 2019 when the Syrian war was at its peak. And uh, it was just a completely eye-opening experience, which as those of you who have been around Revolve the last few years, we aggressively tried to connect with until the pandemic, and then Moria Camp burned down. Greece used that as an opportunity to relocate refugees into basically internment camps, where now it's harder to have access, all of these sorts of things. So we had been in Moria, then we went to Thessaloniki, and in Thessaloniki, you have the refugees who have already kind of gone through the assimilation process. And so now it's like the next stage. Some of them are looking for work. Some of them just want to move on to another country. So there was a ministry in Thessaloniki where the refugees would come in and they would get three voucher cards for a shower, laundry, and lunch. And so they would turn in these voucher cards and they'd be there for the next few hours playing chess and backgammon. And of course, the ministry used it as a time to show um, this outreach video called Al-Masira, which is basically like an evangelical, apologetic-focused um, Arabic video that the, the Muslims from the Arab nations would watch. And then at the end of that, I was asked to share a few words, and Michael was my Arabic translator. And then someone was translating into Kurdish from Michael. And over the next few years, we just continued to connect on, on WhatsApp and Signal and these sorts of things. He was actually living in Budapest, Hungary, at the time as he was finishing up his master's. You know, Greece has always been a melting pot of nations. Greece has always been a melting pot of nations. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. Athens is just about a five-hour drive south of Thessaloniki. And there's a place in Athens, you can still go to the ruins today, it was called the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was a place where thinkers and philosophers 
and guys and gals like that of the day, they would go and they would hang out and they would talk and they would share. Kind of like the London equivalent of standing on the soapbox where you can go and you can share. And so Paul's walking around the Areopagus and he makes this observation. He's always looking for a way to share the gospel, that Paul. And this is what Paul says in Acts 17. He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. Now, I want to point out before Michael comes up in just, uh, you know, three minutes or something like that, is that Paul acknowledges a few key things here, which I want you to see. One, he acknowledges the reality that mankind is looking for a higher power. Mankind is looking for a higher power. This is evidenced by the fact that the Areopagus is full of objects of worship to various gods, to various deities. And so mankind, in his own essence, has a desire to look to something to worship, even if in his narcissism it becomes himself. Man desires to worship something. Second thing is this. Mankind is willing to worship what he does not know. Isn't that strange? Mankind is willing to worship what he does not know because at the Areopagus, they had an altar to an unknown God. Now, this may sound strange, but it's really true of all of us at various points in our life because mankind will worship aliens. They'll worship soccer stars they've never met, and they become like two-dimensional characters who are apparently perfect at everything in addition besides soccer. Mankind will, will worship inanimate objects like fast cars and big yachts and religions that were written down in a college dorm during a mushroom trip, right? We will worship things that we don't know that seem like they should be worshiped. Mankind is actually exceptionally, does an exceptionally good job at worshiping from a place of ignorance. It's one of our fortes, actually. The third thing I want you to realize is this. Mankind has the opportunity to worship the God who knows them and the God who wants to be known. Isn't that remarkable? We have a bent within ourselves to worship something. Our default is to worship something out of ignorance, but God, in his kindness, has revealed himself to us through creation generally, through the word specifically, specially, so that we have the opportunity, which ultimately is realized in the ultimate revelation of God, the God-man Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. But ever since I spent those 
first couple weeks in Greece. I've been back multiple times now. Ever since I spent those first two weeks in Greece, it was the last two verses of this section of Acts chapter 17 that actually hit me. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek God and perhaps find him. This is the story of every refugee. This is the story of every immigrant. It's the story of every displaced person. It's the story of every migrant worker who thinks they're going somewhere for better pay. It's the story of every J-1 student who comes here for the summer. It's the story of every out-of-town vacationer who winds up in your path or in mine as they come into Cape May County. Because what we see in these verses are two core realities. One, God is the one who is sovereign in determining borders and allotted times. In other words, where you're going to be and when you're going to be there. That's in the divine sovereign hand of God. You live where you live because God in his sovereignty placed you there. The second thing is this. The purpose of these times and allotments and boundaries is that we would encounter and search for Jesus. And so we see wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters, and we are rightfully bothered in our spirits. The Middle East is a mess, right? We, it's a mess right now. We don't even know what's happening right now. We could get out of here, and we could find out that Iran has decided to enter into the fray as they threatened yesterday. But even in these times, God is sovereign. And sovereign doesn't mean that God is purposing it. Sovereign means that he works despite it. He works through it to accomplish his purposes because he is on one level a puppet master, but the difference is these puppets are alive. And so God works through mankind's choices to accomplish his purposes. What man means for evil, God intends and purposes and uses for good. And one of the ways he does that is by putting gospel-centered people like Michael and Sarah in the path of displaced refugees who could not readily encounter the gospel in their home country, but now can encounter it freely in another so I'm going to invite Michael and Victor to come up. Victor is going to be facilitating our kind of interview time, so to say. And so could you guys please give it up for Michael and Victor? So it's a pleasure to have you guys here. Well, it's a pleasure to have Michael here especially. No offense, Victor. I mean, we're happy to have you too. All right, Victor, it's all in your hands, bud. Oh, boy. Uh, could everybody first welcome Michael? This is his first time in the United States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came to the mecca of all culture, Cape May County. Yeah, I chose us to stand because I, I feel all more right. comfortable. Oh, okay. I'm just... yeah. Bill, stand up. <laughs> You're sitting on the job. for a long time. You can keep uh, sitting. <laughs> So, Michael, before we get into your current ministry and, you know, how what you guys are doing in Germany, could you please just first tell us uh, your testimony, how you came to faith, uh, the story, just the generational faith you have in your family, and how God has given you and Sarah a heart for all these refugees? 
Yeah, in the beginning, I want to say thank you before I answer my question. Thank you for Revolve, for standing behind us all this way. Thank you for Bill, for encouragement. Without you, maybe we didn't start our ministry and being here to be witness. I didn't have the chance. I say I speak with Bill always, but this is my chance to say thank you before I introduce myself for all the church and the faithful people standing behind us. Uh, my name is Michael. I am uh, Egyptian, and I married from Sarah. She is Egyptian too, and I grew up as a Christian Coptic Orthodox. And there's a Coptic Orthodox Christian in Egypt, they are around 10%, but um, many countries, they don't know there is a Christian people exist in Egypt. And like in, in the airport, the officer say, where you are from? I say, I'm from Egypt. And they say, what you work? I say, I am a missionary pastor. And they are, which religion? I say, I am a pastor. And why you ask about religion automatically Christian? I say, no, because you are from Egypt. And uh, in Egypt, you can find 10% Christian Coptic Orthodox. That it doesn't mean they are a believer and has a relation with God. For this, the majority of them, they take it as a religious thing, and they think they, I, am a, I will go to heaven because I am a Christian, I have a Christian name. But I have a moment in my life, and with all my family, we take a serious decision to be a Christian. And uh, it's a story, can I tell it now? Or? Like, we have one of our family members, she had like a cancer in her brain, and she tried to find any medicine or medical help, and all the doctors say is there is no hope. You will die soon. And she said, I want to find any way to get healing. And she hear about German missionary visiting Egypt for a short time. She say, I, she say, I try with all the Egyptian pastor, all the religious, there is no hope, but I would try to ask this missionary, maybe he can pray for me. He prayed for her, but she didn't, she didn't discover or receive any healing. And he told her, maybe you will die anyway. If you receive healing, if you become well for 10 years, but you will die. But there is something more important if you receive Jesus in your heart. And she say, yes, but I'm Christian already. What do you want to say? There is nothing in you. He say, you need to receive Jesus as your savior. She accept what he say and she pray. And she feel after she give her life to Jesus was full of happiness, joy. And she don't know, I can't keep it alone. I can't keep it for myself. I want to speak it to all my family. They think they will go to heaven by name, but they need to have a relation with Jesus. And she came to all the family, and she tried to visit house by house, family by family, but she, she, she is not a good speaker. She said, I have an idea. I have a video cassette from this missionary. I can give it to them with Arabic subtitle. Maybe they know if they don't give me a chance. She visited the house. She came to our family. I was teenagers in this time. She came to my, my family house. She tried to speak about, I have a joy in my life. There is nothing you don't, you don't understand. And they say, oh, we are a Christian already. What do you want to say? You, we don't need Jesus. We have Jesus already in our Bible. I put my Bible under my pillow and he protected me. Everything is okay. Why I need Jesus? And we didn't give her any hearing. And she spent the time and said, oh, what do you want to drink? Okay, let's eat together. And she feel disappointed, lifting our home without any hope. And she visits the next family, the next family. And after every visit, she keeps the video cassette as a gift. And we just put it in the shelf without watching. After a couple of weeks, she died. And in our culture, we, we sit in a big hall in the church, speaking about her after we put the body in the grave, like kind of traditional thing. And in this moment, everyone speak about her last visit to our home. 
And it was a special moment. I feel the fear of God came among this hall. And we felt there is important message. God speak to us, but we didn't hear. And I remember my father, he said, God, send her to us. And we didn't hear. It's an important message. And we didn't listen to her. But we have this video cassette. Let's see back home watching this important message from God. He take us in the car and he take everyone and everyone run to his house to watch this private message. He pulled the video cassette and the kids like me say, okay, we'll go to play. No, he say, no. This is a message for the entire family. Everyone said watching what God want to say for everyone. Little kids, younger kids, father, mother, everyone said, and he plays a video cassette. And I remember it like yesterday. He didn't say anything new. I know all the information. I know all the stories he tell in the sermon. I know it as a story. But in this time, it was very powerful. Like a revolved time, God was reaching our family. We cry, we give our life to Jesus, the entire family. And my father said, okay, I want to meet with this life church. They teach the gospel, but I don't like to go back to my Orthodox church. But where I find this church? He finds the address in the back. And he said, I will go this Sunday to the church. I need a family to, to belong. People have this belief. He said, okay, the church meeting, it was in the, in the morning, like Orthodox meeting. He went to the church with all the family. We found nothing. It's an empty church. And the workers, they clean up and say, oh, the Protestant church, the evangelical, we do the church at night while you came. And my father said, I will not leave this place. I will wait until the night come to attend this church. And he sat in the second row, and we sat in the first row because it was empty. And there's four of us, four children sitting in front of him, and my mom and my dad behind us. And when the worship started, it was very powerful. Powerful. The presence of the Lord, it was very heavy. And we felt like our hearts flying and enjoying this atmosphere of worship in the Lord. It was my first time to listen to live worship. And the message, it was very powerful, evangelized message. And the pastor said, who want to give his life to Jesus? All the family stand up and we pray and we give our life to Jesus. And the decision we take from this day, my father say, he say, this chair, it will be my chair until I will die. And for more than 20 years, he, he didn't escape one Sunday. He go to church and we disciples and we grow in this church for all our life, for the both generation, my generation and my parents' generations. That's beautiful. Thank you. I, um, so... Thank you. So one of the things, too, just to bring light, I was talking with Michael yesterday, is when we went through our sermon series in 2 Timothy, we started off by looking at this generational faith passed down from one to another. And so one thing that's really cool with Michael is how instrumental your father was in his faith and how he passed it down to you. Yeah, as a, you can understand it easy. As a minority, as a Christian minority, it is in Egypt, surrounded by, by Muslim people, we feel insecure. For this, we try to build our bubble. Like we go to Christian school, we go to Christian doctor, we don't have any Muslim friends. And this fear, it's a big barrier front of evangelization among Muslim people. But my father, he has a different character. Like he grew among a lot of Muslim friends. And I saw my father, he go to visit the Muslim friends. He is very friendly with Muslims. And he didn't have this fear. And I received this DNA. I don't know why I love Muslim. And I didn't feel persecuted. And I complain when I find they take my rights. Like I don't have this fear from Muslim majority people in my school. When they take my rights, I, I ask and I fight for my rights. 
and they did break all my fear among Muslims. And when God called me to serve Muslims, it was open door. I love them, and I start sharing without this fear. And I received this for my dad. And I am glad to speak here. My dad went to heaven three years ago, and uh, he put the love of sharing among Muslims. And uh, he take me as a child. When he accepted Jesus, he, he is not a pastor, he is not a missionary, but he can't keep it for himself, this belief. He will speak in his job, in his colleague, when the police catch him, why you evangelize Muslims? He say, well, I am not a pastor, I am not a missionary, it's not my job. But people ask my story, and I can't lie. I want to just say my story. And through this, he's sharing his testimony. And in one situation, he got in very serious situation with one very radical Islamic leaders in Egypt. He came to church with 20 persons sitting in the back. And they say, hey, guys, do you have a right belief? I came to your church. If you are trusting your belief, trust your God, come to my mosque. I came to your church. If you are brave and you, you trust your Lord, I came here brave man. You can come to my, my mosque in my uh, big house for worshiping Islam to speak about your God. And no one from the church likes to go. Everyone's, no, we don't want to go there. They will kill us. Maybe we'll not get out. And the pastor say, hey, you can go. He can speak to my father. <laughs> and, uh, and my father say, okay, but I need people to come with me. You are the pastor. He say, no, we will pray for you. You go and uh, we will entire church sit here and pray. And you go, go for us there. And my father say, I will go because he loves him. And he find one brother, he say, I can't sick, but I will come to pray for you. And my father said, good, I need another one. And uh, he didn't find, and he looked at me, hey, Michael, do you want to go? <laughs> I said, yes. And the three of us, we went in very old car, and we found like a big house, like a villa. And we entered this villa. In the front door, we found many shoes, like 400 shoes. And my father looked at me, mm, that, that means there's people inside. <laughs> and we enter inside. The old walls with big uh, Quran parts was written with gold and black, and it was scary. And when we enter, the leader, he came and he say, hey guys, you stay in the stage here, and you should eat first. This is our culture. And the guest man, he said to my father, maybe they put a poison in this food. <laughs> and my father say, if we, if we didn't eat, it doesn't guarantee we'll get out from here with these hundreds of people around us. If they want to kill us, we will die anyway. It's not about food. We pray and we eat, and after we finish eating, this, um, uh, he is a very bad man. Like he, in, the, in the city center, he burned the Bible many times, very proud against Christianity. And he say, okay, uh, I bring you now to open an argument about your belief, and I want to show my people how weak the Christian believe. And my father say, okay, I'm not a theological, and I'm not um, high educated. I can argue with you because I, but let me speak my story. And this man, ah, we didn't prepare for the stories, but it's okay. And my father started to introduce myself, and he take to share his testimony three hours, speaking just his testimony. And in the end, the people got attached with the word of God, and they love it. And this man, when he understand what's going on, he understand my father was sharing his testimony, and the people start receiving the word. And he got angry and said, you coming to stealing my people from here? We invite you just for argument. And now you preach your gospel in my mosque. And he kicked us out. Go away. And we run before he killing us. And we run out. <laughs> and my father said, 
if we got safe from here, that will be enough for us. We don't need nothing. And we take the car, and just in the next corner by the car, we found some, someone knocks in our window behind. Tak, 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 tak. And my father stopped the car and looked at him, and we felt he is coming with a gun or something. And he asked one man with, with a big beard, where is your church and when, when you meet? And my father, okay, this is the flyer for our church. You can come in this meeting. And we run with a car. In the next Sunday, we find five Muslims people give their life to Jesus after this testimony. And my father say, I am not a professional leader. You just come, and my, my role just to say my story. And you can come to church, you find someone to disciple you. My, he understands his call, just to share the gospel, sharing his story without any title. Because he understands this is his identity. He is ambassador. He just say, I want to share my story. Because he, he discovered it as a real story for him. Thank you. That's great. One of the things we look at in our ABCs of Discipleship class is identity is a precursor to all action you do in life. And it's so cool to see how your father lived out being ambassador for Christ and how that's been passed down to you. So with that, can you tell us how first, how your family landed in Germany and what work your ministry is doing there in Germany? Maybe you could give us a couple stories that you know, you've been sharing with yeah. us and the other elders. Yeah. I speak too much about my father because I believe I continue his ministry, especially when he went to heaven a couple years ago, and I believe I am here. Uh, without him, I didn't understand. I, I, I just continue his ministry. And uh, uh, we travel first to Budapest. I was looking for a chance to serve the Lord. I know my call to be a missionary from more than 20 years ago, but I didn't find a chance. And we say, yes, I'm ready, Lord. I found all doors closed. I discipled, and my wife, I met her in discipleship group about mission discipleship group. And we have the same DNA. We knew before we got married, we put the mission in our table. We'll be a missionary one day, but we don't know how. Uh, when I tried to open the door, it doesn't open, and I found God open for me, working in professional in United, UN uh, organization in many departments, and uh, the Lord was developing me with uh, business skills, with theology study, preparing me for the mission, but I didn't know. I was thinking I lost my vision. It was like a crazy emotion. But when I look back, I see the Lord using all this experience for his kingdom. Uh, I, I meet with Sarah, we got married, and after uh, I start my career job with the UN, the, in the UN, I meet with the refugees when the Arabic Spring start, and they came to Egypt. And there, God touched my heart. He said, hey, Michael, this is your people. This is why people I want us, you to reach. But I will send you to free land. I couldn't preach the gospel freely in Egypt. The police was everywhere, and they can track us, and we can't preach the gospel freely in Egypt. And I got a chance to move to Hungary, Budapest, to do my master. But it was in my heart, this is not the same purpose. I'm, the main purpose to serve the Lord. I got a visa, and I traveled to Hungary to serve in Europe. And through my time there in Budapest, I got a chance to go to Greece to do outreach. In this trip in Thessaloniki, I met with Bill and with uh, some of the elders, with David and Scotty. Scotty also, I met with them there, and we tried to know each other and maintain our relationship. But Greece, it was, as you know, maybe it's not like a transit country. It's not a place for planting a church and building community. People come and go, come and go. It's a great time to share the gospel, but uh, it was in my heart to, to do something settle and let people feeling family and feeling home, not just to listen to the message. It's like uh, you have a baby, 
newborn and you just throw it and you keep the nature take care of them. I, I believe they need disciple and they need a deep relationship. For this, I didn't find this in, in Hungary, in Hungary or Greece, but I found it in Germany. When we got a call, there is a chance to move to uh, Germany, we move right away. When we move, we move in the middle of the pandemic. We, 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 we put, like we sell everything in Budapest, we give back our apartment just one week before we, we, we travel. The German border, it was closed, and we couldn't get our, our train. We sleep in the ground in the apartment. It was a very crazy time. Finally, we find that flight ticket, and we fly to Germany. We are the only people who was in the local train. It was a very hard time in the pandemic. We arrive in Germany, all the church closed, all the Christian panicking, everyone is scared, and the culture barrier. It was a crazy time. And I was walking, God, why are you sending me here? I am in the wrong place. I, I can't serve you. I feel depressed because these people are panicking around us. I don't know why I'm here. I was walking by in the street, very complaining, angry, feeling lost. And I found when I, I, I walk in the sidewalk, the bus stopped beside me and there's people coming out. And I started hearing people speaking behind me. I find two couples, men, men and women, speaking Arabic. And it's attracting me what they say. I say, okay, they speak Arabic. I didn't listen too much in, in Germany. And uh, this man saying boldly, where I can find here in this city Arabic Bible? I can't find it. He say like this. In the moment I just cross by, he says this. And I feel, okay, this is my time. And I <laughs> it's unbelievable. In the moment I cross by, just Arabic man says, I turn to him, I speak to him, and I change the numbers, and I promise to visit him in his home with the Bible. And I, after a couple of weeks, I was preaching in other church, and I didn't visit this man. And his brother meeting with me, Michael, are you Michael from Leipzig? I say, yes. Say, you met two weeks ago one man speaking in the street about Bible and you didn't go. I say, okay, I know God, I'm like you and I will go, I will go. And I take appointment and I say to my wife, listen, we are going to visit. It's a great chance to share the gospel. It's a Muslim man looking for a Bible. It's a very easy, let's prepare to preach him. When we went to his home, he say, brother, I am a Christian. I am a new, new believer. And I have just a New Testament, and I need a full Bible. I told him, tell me your story. I'm going to preach him. But his story speak to me. He said, I'm a Muslim background. I grew up in Baghdad, in, in Iraq. I am a Shia background, but my wife from Sunni background. Before the war, it was okay to have this domination without any problem. But after the war, it was very hard, very radical, killing each other, bombing each other. And in the night, they came to him. The Shia people, hey man, you are a Shia, you live in Shia area, and you have a Sunni wife. Are you crazy? She is enemy. You should kill your wife. And he told him, are you crazy? Kill my wife, the mother of my three children? He said, your religion is the most important, more than your wife, and we give you another wife. And he said, no, he didn't obey. And after a couple of weeks, the children in Baghdad, they play in the street. They found one missing boy of his children. And he tried to look everywhere for this child. He didn't find. In this moment, he was not too much religious. But when he heard about Jesus, he felt it's unrealistic. God died for me. God loved me and died for me. It's unrealistic. This is his point of view about Christianity. He looked everywhere for this child. He didn't find. And finally, after one month, in the middle of the night, he got a call. Hey, man, are you still looking for your child? We have him. This is the deal. You will come tomorrow. Don't tell anyone about our call. Don't speak to your wife. Come in the morning, 
meet us outside the city, front of the hospital. This is a meeting point. He waiting front of the meeting point, the next day. He don't know what's going on. He just know, I want to get my son back. And he found his best friend. He's coming to speak with him, and he say, I work with them, and we need you inside. They take him inside, and they take like a blood test, sample from his blood. They make like analysis and say, yes, you are okay. You are the one we are looking for. This is the deal. We can give you your son back, but we'll take your kidney instead of your son. This is a price. And there is no time to, to think. Tomorrow morning, in the same time, you came to us, we give your son, and we'll take you inside the hospital. If you don't like to receive your son back, you are free. And he spent a very hard night. He couldn't say to his wife, and he's thinking, shall I give my life to risk my life for just one boy? I still have another three boys. I can have more children. I can have how many children? I can have another wife with more children. Why I risk my, wife, my life for one child? And it doesn't guarantee he will get out. Maybe they will take everything and they will kill him. He risked all his life for one child, and he has many. And he spent all night thinking. In the end, he say, but to give this child a chance, it's worth it to risk my life. And he has big love just to give the chance for his son. The next day, he speak to his wife, okay, I will not tell you anything. You will come with me and you receive your son back. But in three days, if you didn't see me, if I didn't return home, count me as dead. And they went, and she didn't know what's going on. They went front of the hospital, and they found like a two men coming with uh, clothing black, like, like a ladies with niqab covering everything. And they had like machine gun under, and they had the boy very dirty, very weak, after more than months away from his family. The lady takes the boy, and he, they told her, don't look back. Take the boy, go home. And they take him inside the hospital. In the hospital, they started the operation. They take, him, take his kidney, and he wake up in the middle of the night, very weak, very sick. And the doctor came saying, well, man, okay, we finish our work. Everything is okay. But you are not in a hotel. They pay just for the operation, and we don't like to carry any responsibility. He said, I am weak. I just wake up from the operation. He said, no, you go home. I said, I can't. They take him in a chair, and they put him in the street to be outside their responsibility. And this man, he look, he find his phone just 60% the battery. He called his brother, please come and pick up me from here. He came and pick up him, and he said, I can't stay in this country anymore. I feel harm, I feel broken. And he applied for having a passport to travel. When he went to receive his passport, the policeman, policeman working for the government, hey man, you make our sheikh angry. And he put like highlight in your, your name, and you are not allowed to have your passport. The police work with the sheikh, the religious leader. And it's end up for him to run between the countries to escape as a refugee until he was uh, arrived to Turkey. He finished all his money. He gave everything for the dealer to jump in the boat. The deal was just for this rubber boat for 35 person. In the moment when they get in the boat, they found 70 people. This dealer takes 70 person in the boat, receive a lot of money, and he says there is no clothing, no luggage, nothing, just you alone to adding more people. And they put him in the boat. In the boat, in the middle of the water, they found like three boats, and everyone go in different direction. They are not sure we are in the right direction or not. He said, do you see this mountain very far? You go just in this direction, you will be saved. 
And they didn't have any worker. He just said, okay, any man from you just playing in this machine until you arrive. It was a crazy in the middle of the water. The kids turning blue, very cold, freezing. There is no sweater, nothing, no clothing. But what happened when he arrived was the sunrise to the Greek island. He found people waiting for them in front of the island. And they found these people wearing the Red Cross sign. They are working with the Red Cross. And he don't know what the Red Cross means. He don't know there is organization or nothing. But he sees this is cross. It means this is Christian people. And he say, look what happened from the Muslims. And look what the Christian doing. They welcome him, give him blanket, food, take care of him. And they say, I want to know about this religion. And he asked, please, you give me mercy. And I, I want to know your God. They look for any Bible, any New Testament. They didn't find. Finally, they found just the New Testament in Arabic. And they give it to him. He take it in his first night. He starts reading, reading until he sleep, and he, the, the New Testament falling from, from his hand. And he wake up in a dream. He see like a lighting room. And he entered this room. He found one man sitting in the ground, writing in a book. And he looked to this man, and this man looked to him. And he gave him a smile, this big smile. And something happened in his knowledge, in his spiritual knowledge. He knew this is Jesus. But this man didn't speak to him. He, he felt, yes, this is Jesus. And he says, this is my healing all my emotion and give me confidence. This is the right God. When he wake up, he say, I want to follow this God. And after weeks, he traveled to Germany and I met with him and I gave him the, uh, new, the Bible, the new Bible. And he, but he's still panicking and he, he can't be in community or church because after this crisis he crossed by, I just have a personal relation with him. And I ask him, why you accept this God this time. Why you, it makes sense for you. He say, because I cross by the same experience. I can easily understand how much love God have to give his life for the people. Because I am as a father, I decide. It's unrealistic, but too much love. I risk my life for this boy. And I saw this boy, and we have a good relation with this family. Now God gave him more children. He has six children, and he live in Germany, in Leipzig. And from this testimony, he became a believer because he is, as a father, he understands our Godfather, how much he loves us. It was very easy for him to receive and adopt this idea. Thank you. Uh, that is it's so encouraging to hear how God is working across the world. So, Michael, we got about five minutes. And so my last question is, can you share with us some of the goals in your ministry, how you're currently working in Germany, to know how can we come alongside you in prayer for those goals? And also, as he's talking, elders, if you want to start making your way up, we can pray over Michael as we close out our service. Yes. Um, there is a lot of going on in Leipzig, and uh, God leading us last uh, three years through Bill and the elders, and uh, they are really encouraging and supporting us. What's happening in the ground, we start international church, for Arab and the, uh, all the international people in English in our home. But uh, last month, last two months, we start a new movement among just focusing in Arab. And we started doing outreach in the street. We, we make like Arabic worship concert and we're inviting Muslim people. More than 100 person came in the first night. The second night, new 80 people came. And I shared the gospel very bold, very clear among these Muslim people. And after this, we felt the Lord calling us to start a new 
Arabic-focused church. There is zero Arabic church in Leipzig, but we start the second church. It's unbelievable how God using our weakness with our knowledge, with all our challenge, but God doing a great job. We start, we have two months now, we starting the Arabic church from the first meeting, 26 person came, the second meeting, 30 person came, Muslims and the Christian together, they came with hijab, they came with big beer. I don't know why, they know this is a church, but it's still kept coming, but we meet in person, we maintain our relation, and we need really your prayer behind us to keeping our work among Arab people in Germany, and also the international communities looking for God in Leipzig. That's beautiful. Thank you. Michael, before, one thing we did in the, the ministry class we have, or the missions class this morning, was, Michael, we had you pray in Arabic. And so before we, the elders and the church, pray over you, would you say a prayer first yes. in Arabic? Yes. Lord, Ya Rabbi, thank you, Revolved Church. Thank you, Rabbi, for the people who love you and love you, and love you, Rabbi. يا رب انا مصدق ان في خدمه يا رب وفي يا رب عمل ليك يا رب في كل الكوكب من خلال كنيسه ريفالف يا رب من خلال يا رب بيل يا رب والشيوخ والفريق اللي معاه يا رب انت تستخدمهم يا رب يخدموك وينشروا كلمتك يا رب في كيب ماي وفي المانيا وفي كل الشرق الاوسط يا رب في هذا الزمن الاخير تستخدم يا رب الخدمه الامينه يا رب اللي بيخدموها يا رب وكل محبه وكل رؤيه يا رب هي سماويه لربح النفوس لمجد اسمك وبارك يا رب في اسمك الكنيسه والشعب يا رب وصلي يا رب بكل بركه يا رب وحمايه لاسرهم عائلاتهم يا رب والاشغالهم يا رب ودراستهم وتكون وتكون يا رب ريفالف تشيرش يا رب مناره ليك يا رب في كيب ماي والكل الارض امين امين God I thank you so much for our brother Michael Lord God I just thank Lord of Hearing so much of Michael's story, Lord, and just the community, God, that he has valued so much, Lord, with just uh, us here at Revolve, Lord, and the community that he yearns for, Lord, to start developing as brothers and sisters in Christ in Germany, God. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you for the local community that we have in church. And, Lord, I thank you, God, that we have Michael here, and you can just open up our eyes, Lord, just the unity we have, not only in the local church and the body of Christ, but in the global church that we have, Lord. And, God, we lift up him and his family to you, Lord. God, blessed are the feet of those who bring good news, Lord. And so, God, we just pray over Michael and his family, Lord, as they are going to share the gospel, not only share the gospel, Lord, and just in a world with a church that is so divided, God, Lord, that we just pray that he, Lord, just modeling what it means to look like and follow and share the news of what Jesus Christ, what you have done, how you have united Jew and Gentile alike, Lord, that he would help raise up, that you would work through him and raise up a community, Lord, of believers, God. And Lord, just how he prayed right now, Lord, that every tribe, every tongue, Lord, coming together, Lord, and just worship and praise in you. And God, we pray you would raise up fellow workers alongside of him, God, as we all yearn to see the Great Commission reach its fulfillment. Father God, I pray for Michael's vision, Lord, just this beautiful, powerful vision of churches being planted in these cities in, without, throughout Germany and throughout uh, the European Union, God, into the Middle East, Lord, into Central Asia. Lord, that we would see churches planted that aren't just um, independent churches, God, but they're places that are equipping and raising up a generation of workers. Lord, I pray for this vision of seeing not just international churches in the cities of Germany, Lord, but also seeing those international churches then transform into pockets of home groups, 
Lord, that are according, uh, according to language uh, barriers, cultural barriers, God, so that those who don't speak German well or don't speak English well will also encounter the gospel, Lord, in their own mother language, in their own mother culture. Lord, I pray for this God-sized vision because you are able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. I pray that you would, in, you would just set our hearts ablaze at Revolve Church to remember to pray for Michael and Sarah and to be excited about the way that you are using us to send, to pray, to give, to cheer for um, these workers overseas, God. Although we may not have a, div- a diverse culture in Cape May County where we can go and share with a multitude of Muslims, Lord, we thank you that we have workers around the world who can. And so, Lord, we just we place uh, Michael and Sarah and Kareem and Alex before you, Lord. We pray for their spiritual protection, for your blessing on their lives, Lord, on their family. And we pray that you would use them in ways that are immeasurably more than Michael and Sarah ever imagined. And we pray these things for the glory of our King, Jesus. Amen. Amen.